0: Let's open the Scriptures this afternoon to the Gospel of John, John chapter 5, a few verses there, and then John chapter 17, Gospel of John chapter 5, in the Pew Bible, page 1133. 1133. These readings are in connection with Our Confession, Lord's Day 22, concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. These are teachings of Scripture summarized in the Apostles' Creed and explained in the Heidelberg Catechism, and that'll be the focus of the preaching this afternoon. John 5, then, verse 18 through 29, and here the Lord speaks about the gift of eternal life. Verse 18, and as I alluded to this morning, we happen to uh, make reference to John 5. Uh, Jesus has just healed the man lame for 38 years. The Jews are upset because He did that on the Sabbath day. Then we pick it up at verse 18. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Him, because not only was He breaking the Sabbath, but He was even calling God His own Father, making Himself equal with God. and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. We'll turn now to John 17 and read the first ten verses. Hear the Lord Jesus praise, and that lengthy prayer, uh, relatively speaking, is recorded for us. And they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them." Please turn with me in the book of praise to page 536, 536, where we find our confession, the church's confession, concerning the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. Lord's Day 22. What comfort does the resurrection of the body offer you? Not only shall my soul, after this life, immediately be taken up to Christ, my head, but also this, my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. What comfort do you receive from the article about the life everlasting? Since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy, I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness, such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. So far, our confession. In response we to the preaching, will sing again from Psalm 30, this time the stanzas 2 and 5. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, this afternoon we come to the last two gospel truths summarized in the Apostles' Creed, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. By all measures, these are two precious truths, aren't they? We have them on our hearts on a regular basis, and especially we call them to mind when we are confronted by that last enemy, the enemy death. When someone we know that's close to us, family member or friend, dies, when that painful loss hits our lives, we run for cover to this confession I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. We may well be weeping when we run into that shelter, but that truth is a shelter, a shelter from despair, a shelter from purposelessness, emptiness, and a broken heart, because we know that Jesus Christ gives us life beyond the grave. but what kind of life will it be that's a question we many of us anyway instinctively want to ask what kind of life is it and will we know each other in that next life will all the memories that we shared in this life will they go with us into the next what about the bad memories What about the people we know and care about in this life who might not be with us in the next life? What about them? How could we bear the thought of them being in torment while we are in paradise? All of these are quite natural questions. They're also very thorny questions, and they may not all be answerable from the Scriptures. But this afternoon, we'll try to get a footing on understanding the next life by first having a good understanding of this life, the spiritual life Christ gives us today, for it's that life, the Bible says, is that life that will carry on forever. So, I bring you this word of the Lord, Christ makes you alive today and forevermore. Christ makes you alive today and forevermore. We are to feel the joy, and we are to anticipate the wonder. Feel the joy, anticipate the wonder. When we think of the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, our thoughts go to the future as a rule, something that has yet to happen. And of course, that's quite true. After we die, we will go to heaven as we confess in answer 57. We say there that we shall, our soul shall immediately be taken up to Christ, our head. That will certainly be a new experience. And when Christ returns on the clouds to judge the living and the dead, then our bodies will be raised up from the dead. Christ mentioned that in John 5. Elsewhere in Scripture, we know that our bodies will be changed in the twinkling of an eye from bodies that can die to bodies that can never die. Then we're going to come into the, the presence of our triune God on the new earth, and that also will be a new experience. So there are definitely are new things coming, and yet the, new, the newness of that life is not totally new the core of that life that's coming, the core of life in heaven and later on the new earth, the core of that is something that Jesus says we have right now, today. Answer 58 puts it this way, since I now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy. Now, eternal joy, we confess. This is joy that is is present right now for the Christian and which will go on forever and ever. The catechism is describing the, the nature of that eternal life, the quality of eternal life. It is a life of bliss. It is a life, simply put, a life of joy. Well, that's nice to say, but where is the catechism getting this from? Well, if you look at the footnote, there's a reference there to Romans 14, verse 7, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but it is a matter of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is a matter of joy. Peter writes similarly in his first letter, chapter 1, verse 8, Though you have not seen Him, Christ, you love Him, Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him, and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You are filled with joy at knowing, believing in Christ. And this isn't just a New Testament thing. We're going to sing about it after the sermon, Psalm 30, where David describes God's saving work this way. You turned my mourning and distress to joyful dance and happiness, stripped off my sackcloth of despair, and gave me robes of joy to wear. O Lord my God, for Your great favor, I will give thanks and praise forever. Thanks and praise forever are going to tumble out of our hearts and spill out of our mouths. Brothers and sisters, the forever life of the believer is a life of pure joy. Think of your happiest moment, your most satisfied, most fulfilling time. Multiply that by a million in intensity, and then you'll only be approaching. You'll only be approaching the nonstop flight of joy that is eternal life. And this joy, this best of all joys, this incredible eternal joy comes from only one place, says the Bible. It comes from knowing God. That's what Jesus is teaching in John 17, verse 3. Maybe you'd like to look there again with me for a moment. John 17, verse 3. Jesus is praying out loud, but even when he's praying, he's still teaching, evidently. In verse 2, he mentions eternal life. He says that the Father has given to him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you, Father, have given to me. So Christ says, I've got the power, I have the authority to hand out everlasting life. And when we hear that, we think, well, we we have an understanding of that, of eternal life, right? It's it's life that, that goes on forever and ever. It's some kind of paradise that never stops. We think that being alive is having your heart beating, your brain functioning, your feelings working. But Jesus says here that life, true life, is a whole lot more than that. In fact, you can think you are alive, but in fact, you are dead. Did you know that? Elsewhere in Scripture, Revelation 3, Jesus said to a group of Christians in the church of Sardis, He said to them, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. So... What is Jesus talking about? How can you be dead when you are alive? Well, Jesus is talking about spiritual life. He's talking about the essence of human life, the quality of life. Hearts beating, brains working, feelings feeling are important to be sure, but all of that on its own, that's just merely existing. You can exist without being alive. To be alive is to experience life as the Creator intended it to be experienced, and you have to have one key ingredient, you have to have the most important ingredient, you have to, says Jesus, you have to know God. That's 17 verse 3, right here in the prayer, Jesus says, and this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life, true life, the life we were created to have is knowing God, and that, brothers and sisters, that starts here and now. That's not just a future thing. Certainly, it will become full and perfect knowing God in the future certainly the kind of life that's coming will be glorious and more wondrous than we can now understand but it will be the life that we have today with God only it will no longer have any of the restrictions we feel and experience because of sin eternal life brothers and sisters it's a today thing if you remember only one thing from this sermon make it that it's a today thing eternal life is now Now spreading into the future. Our Savior taught us in John 5 24, which we read Truly, truly, I say to you that whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Present tense, he continues, he does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. That's past tense. If you believe Jesus' words, if you believe that the Father sent Him, the Son, to die on the cross to pay for your sins, Jesus says you possess eternal life. And eternal life, He says in John 17, is knowing God. Well, what does that mean? That sounds a bit up in the air, pie in the sky, knowing God. I mean, how do you know God? Lots of people read the Bible and know plenty of things about God. Is that what Jesus means? Is that knowing God? You can think of Satan and the fallen angels who once lived in heaven and beheld the glory of God. Just think about that. They once beheld the splendor and majesty of the almighty Yahweh, the holy, holy, holy God. Does Satan and do the fallen angels, can they be said to know God? Well, we only have to ask, does Satan and the fallen angels, do they have eternal life? And of course, we know they don't. Their dwelling place will ultimately be in the lake of fire, in eternal death. So, knowing facts... Is not yet knowing the person. And having once served God and in his presence, and now being in rebellion against him, however well the devil and his followers might think they know God or his son Jesus Christ, Jesus himself says about such persons, Matthew 7, then I will say to them, he's referring to the last day, I never knew you, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. He's speaking to those who don't obey His Father's will. To know God, brothers and sisters, to know God is to have a living relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is to know God's love for you, and it is to love God in return. It's a two-way street. It is to hear His voice speak to you through the Scriptures. It is to believe what God says, and it is to then speak back to Him in prayer. In this relationship, we come to accept God for who He is and for all He's done. We acknowledge Him as Creator and as Savior and as our Sanctifier, and we show Him our devotion by honoring His commands and following in His way. Jesus, in John 10, used the image of a shepherd and a sheep to get across the idea of knowing. This relationship of knowing. John 10, verse 4, he says, "...the shepherd goes before the sheep, and the sheep follow him because the sheep know his voice." The sheep know the shepherd. They they, they don't follow a stranger, Jesus goes on to say, because they don't know the stranger. But they know the shepherd. And when he calls, they follow. And where he goes, they go. They trust him. Verse 14 of that chapter, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. And again, verse 27, My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Eternal life is to know Jesus Christ like a sheep knows its shepherd. Does that describe you, brothers and sisters? It's a relationship of trust. Implicit trust, trusting the Good Shepherd, following His voice no matter where it leads. Do you feel the joy of knowing the Lord Jesus as your Lord and Savior, of knowing the Father as your Father in heaven who looks out for you and cares for you? Does the joy of that fill your heart? Because your God knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows you by name, says the Scriptures. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, he tells his disciples, after they've come back from a a session of preaching, and they could cast out demons, and they were happy about their ability to cast out demons, he says, don't rejoice that the demons listen to you. I'll tell you what you should be happiest about. Rejoice, says Jesus, that your names are written in heaven. Your names. Your names. John, George, Micah, Teresa, Sydney, Thomas, Marie, Gemma, Xander, Christina, Ryan... The names of all the sheep that belong to the Good Shepherd are known to Him and are written in heaven. And this happens, brothers and sisters, only because God the Father grants it to us as a gift of grace. Jesus explains that in Luke 10. In that same hour, Jesus rejoiced, notice his joy, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and he said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, for you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding, and you have revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. You put this together, Luke 10 with John 10 and John 17 and John 5, you thread the needle and we arrive at this precious truth. If you hear this gospel message today, and you know Jesus Christ as your shepherd and God as your Father, if you relate to Him, if you communicate with Him and listen to His Word, even in all your weaknesses and struggles, you can have all of that only because God has given it to you. You've got this relationship. You know Jesus because Jesus has made himself known to you. It's a gift of God to you. And if God's given you that gift, nobody can take it away. I give them eternal life, John 10, and no one snatches them out of my hand. Brothers and sisters, if you've got that going on, you've got eternal life, so embrace it. Feel the joy of knowing God already now and grow in the grace of getting to know your God better and better. You know, you can always get to know someone better, right? If you find a friend, you get to know that friend by spending time with him or her, hanging out, having talks, having fun, maybe working together. There's always things to learn about each other, even married people. Even after 52 years, we should ask our brother and sister Borsma. I bet you they would would say, yes, we still learn things about each other, 52 years later. The more time you spend with the other, the more you come to appreciate and know the other. Well, how much more than with our God? For unlike a human being, our God is infinite, infinite. There will never be a moment when we say, you know, I know all there is to know about God. I don't need to spend any more time with Him. No, of course not. There, were, there will always be many things about God that we do not yet know. There will always be some things we will never comprehend because He is Creator. We are creature. He is high. We are low. He's beyond our grasp. And yet, in His kindness, God has said to us, I'm going to create a way for you to get to know me I have created that way you can get to know me somewhat by looking around at this earth and this world take a look at what I've made you can get to know my power and my majesty by looking at everything out there but I'm going to give you another gift you can get to know me a whole lot more by reading the book I wrote for you this book the Bible. That's God's book, which He wrote so we can come to know Him. In this book, the Lord says, I share many things about myself. I teach you about yourself. I share things about all of my people so that together we can communicate. So read my book, and my Spirit will help you know me better. Just ask for that help. Talk to me, and I will talk to you. I will share my heart with you, says the Lord, and you will share your heart with me. Could there be a more joyful thing in all the world, brothers and sisters, than to know the true and living God, creator of all things, in such an intimate relationship, to have this God say, I'm going to share my heart with you, and I want you to share your heart with me. We have to get into that more and more. We have to look for that and pray for that and grow in that. And as that life of joy grows in us today, we will come more and more to anticipate and eagerly look forward to that fantastic wonder of life that yet awaits us. Answer 58 in the Catechism describes the future this way. I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man conceived, a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Now, when you read that, it seems to suggest that there is no possible way for us humans to get to know anything about the coming future life. There are folks who read those words and and take it that way, and they they won't hear of any teaching about what life beyond the grave will be like. When people start talking about that, they shrug their shoulders and simply say, "Uh, there's just no way of knowing anything. No eye has seen, no ear heard, the heart of man has not conceived. We'll just have to wait and see. Is that true? Is that, in fact, what we are confessing here in answer 58, the complete unknowableness of the next life? Well, beloved, that really can't be the case because we are at the same time in this same Lord's Day confessing that we do know something about the next life. Namely, answer 58, it's we're going to possess perfect blessedness. Well, that's something we know and also in answer 57 we confess two more things about the next life when we die our soul will immediately go to be with christ and secondly that at the resurrection this my flesh this very flesh i've got now will be raised up by the power of christ it'll be reunited with my soul and made like christ's glorious body So in this very Lord's Day, we are confessing a number of things about the future life. The catechism can't be ruling out, then, all understanding of the future life. What the catechism is doing is stressing, as Paul does when he quotes these words in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9, he's stressing, and the catechism is stressing, is that what can be known about the next life does not originate with man but exclusively with god if you were to go to 1 corinthians 2 the full quote says this but as it is written what no eye has seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man imagined what god has prepared for those who love him these things god has revealed to us through his spirit so paul he's talking about old testament uh, revelation which became more clear in the coming of Christ. God has revealed that through His Spirit. But none of that was the invention of a man. It was God's idea. There's a contrast between what mankind can invent and what God prepares, what man dreams up and what God actually reveals and puts into play, into reality. And what the Catechism is saying here in answer 58 is that, This glorious future is something that does not at all arise out of man's thinking, (coughs) but only out of the mind of God. And God has... Revealed certain things about the next life. We've already seen a few of them. And elsewhere in the Bible, he shares some glimpses of what glorious things await us. And the first thing I want to point out to you here on Lord's Day 22 is that you will be you. And I will be me in the next life. Some people think that once we die, Our personalities and our memories will disappear, that when we awake in heaven, we will have some sort of new identity. But that's not what the Bible says, not even what the Catechism says. We confess this in answer 57, not only shall my soul after this life immediately be taken up to Christ my head. But also this, my flesh, raised by the power of Christ, shall be reunited with my soul and made like Christ's glorious body. Answer 58 has that same stress. I shall after this life possess perfect blessedness. I will. You will. Me, myself, I. You, yourself, you When I die, it will be my soul that goes to heaven, not somebody else's soul, not a brand new soul, not a soul that no longer knows its own name. Remember, each one of us has our names written in heaven. We're not going to lose our identities when we arrive in heaven, brothers and sisters, but we will finally be our true selves. We will gain the fullness of our identities as all of our sins and sinful nature falls away we will finally be who we really are just think of this brothers and sisters true eternal life is happening right now for each of us and all of us who knows the lord jesus christ Each of us has and is growing in a personal relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Each of us presently has that in our personalities, in our current identities, with our current names, our histories, and our memories. Each of us right now experiences joy, joy in knowing God, right? Why would that then stop at our death? If we can be joyful in God right now today in the middle of all our difficulties and trials, if in the trauma and battle and even horrific things we sometimes experience in this life, we can still know God as our rock and refuge, as our helper and rescue, if we can still find a deep satisfaction and happiness in knowing God as our Father and Jesus as our Savior and the Spirit as our sanctifier, why would that suddenly come to an end when we die? Why would there need to be a new blank slate in heaven? No memory, no past, no understanding of what God did for me in Jesus Christ. If joy in knowing God is possible for each of us presently in this broken life, with all of its sadness, won't perfect joy be possible in the future life for all of us? a life where no sin exists anymore, where trauma cannot enter, where distress and damage of all kinds simply doesn't happen, and God Himself dries our tears? Is it not possible for the Creator of heaven and earth to put a, a salve on our memories, to touch the way we process our past to increase our joy so as to be overcome with joy and to be overwhelmed with joy so that joy replaces sorrow forever? We confess here that our resurrected bodies will be like Christ's glorious body. What does the Bible tell us about Jesus' resurrected body? Did Jesus lose his memory of the past? We know he went through trauma, through the agony of hell, horrible suffering. Yet, it was not a brand new person without any memory A new identity standing there before the disciples it was jesus he went out of his way to prove it was the same jesus he said look at my hands nail prints look at my feet look at the holes put your hand in my side thomas it's me i walked the streets with you you ate with me let's eat now i'll prove it to you it's really me the same jesus did jesus forget the betrayal of judas Did He forget Peter's denial of Him? Remember how He spent time after His resurrection restoring Peter to His office as leader of the Twelve? Think of all the grief and the anguish and the agony He endured in the Garden of Gethsemane and then on the cross most fully. Could Jesus ever forget that? Our salvation, beloved, depends on Jesus remembering all His suffering and holding it up in heaven above, in His Father's courtroom, so that you and I may always be found righteous before God and thus delivered from that torment of hell. Jesus could never forget His suffering. Well, you say, that was Jesus. And He's kind of an exception to the rule. His resurrection and the status of His resurrected body... And mind, it's, it's unique to Jesus, isn't it? I don't find that in the Bible, beloved. Scripture calls the resurrected Jesus the first fruits. That's an agricultural image. The first part of the crop that God is going to bring in. We're the rest of the crop. So what the first fruits look like That's what the rest is going to look like. And we have this confirmed in Philippians 3.21, where Paul, speaking of the Lord Jesus, says, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. Our body like His glorious body. Jesus, in His resurrected state, is still Jesus. Just like all the departed saints are still themselves. Think of the examples we have in the Bible. Elijah was taken up to heaven by a chariot of fire. Moses died on a mountain in the regular manner. But who is it that suddenly appears in the New Testament on the Mount of Transfiguration speaking in the flesh with the Lord Jesus? Elijah and Moses. Real men. Alive, communicating, speaking. What were they speaking about? They were speaking about the exodus that Jesus had to go through. In other words, they were speaking about the ministry of Jesus that they themselves, as prophets, had earlier foretold. Elijah and Moses still have their names. They speak with Christ about things they remember having taught the people. Or think of later on when Jesus speaks to the Sadducees. You might know that the Sadducees, one of their things was they didn't believe in the resurrection at all. So they come to Him with a a question to trap Him. And at the end of dealing with their question and putting them in their place, He says to them, uh, to the Sadducees, and it's, also, then, for our benefit, and as for the dead being raised, have you not read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to Moses, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob? Here it comes He is not God of the dead, but of the living. You Sadducees are quite wrong. Mark chapter 12. Jesus tells us here flat out, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're still alive. Notice how He calls them by name. These men still have their name. They have their name and they have their personality that goes with that name. And if they've got their personality, then they have their memory just like the resurrected Jesus themselves. How could those those patriarchs ever forget what the Lord did for them on the earth? Oh, yes. To be sure, there will absolutely be changes to the dynamics of our human relationships. Jesus says elsewhere, no more marriage, no more birthing of children. Something else then we know from Scripture about the next life. And yes, there are also still many, many unanswered questions about the next life. But Scripture reveals more than we may have realized. And we should take everything we can get from the Scriptures. Beloved, there's a wonderful, wonderful life coming. It's a great thing to ponder it and anticipate but I want you to rest assured that when we enter that new life, Jesus will still be Jesus. You will still be you. I will still be me. And those loved ones, those loved ones in Christ that have gone ahead of us, they will still be themselves. their true selves now, sinless, glorified, living in perfect joy with their perfect Savior and waiting for the great resurrection to come. Surely that will be a day, a day of great rejoicing, as we'll sing in Psalm 30, a day of joyful dance and happiness. The day, the first day of the rest of our lives. Amen.